0: Welcome to Break Bias, I'm your host Brad Kramer, it's the 26th episode, the second of the week, it's the Daniel Kvyat episode and I'm here just before the Italian Grand Prix for a preview of one of the most iconic weekends on the F1 calendar and the final European race of the season, which is kind of crazy to think about, this season has absolutely flown by, at least to me. But anyway, we have a ton to talk about when it comes to the driver market and, of course, this big race coming up. So let's get straight into the Monza preview. It's lights out and away we go. So, Monza, the Italian Grand Prix, the second race in Italy, um, and that is one of two countries that gets to host two F1 races at the moment. Of course, next year, U.S. will have three so they will have that over Italy, I guess. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a unique circuit. Uh, they don't call it the Temple of Speed for nothing, as uh, this circuit is consisted of four big straights, two 90-degree right-handers, three chicanes, and perhaps one of the most famous corners in F1 in the last corner of the lap, aptly named uh, the Parabolica or the Curva Parabolica. Uh, for its parabola-like shape. Uh, Now, when I am able to describe an entire lap around Monza, as simply as that, just as I just did right there, it doesn't sound like it would be a very good track, does it? You know, if I was just able to say, oh yeah, you know, it's three three 90-degree left-handers, two 90-degree right-handers, one S, and three DRS straights. Like, that sounds like an awful track, right? (laughs) But Monza um, is is great like look at the past three years that like we've had here that have just been absolutely fantastic and you know i'm completely disregarding all the other great races that monza has hosted since 1950 um but yeah just looking back you know in 2019 we had one of the strangest qualifying sessions i have ever seen where teams basically prioritize getting a toe more than actually setting a lap time And we had this weird scenario where all the cars in Q3 were racing each other to the line and pretty much all of them missed out. The checkered flag flew and only like signs got through. So that was just a crazy scenario. But of course that weekend is not remembered for that. It is remembered for Leclerc's explosion onto the scene when he won the second race of his career directly after his first career win at Spa, prompting Crofty's famous commentary Mercedes threw everything at him today. Charles Leclerc has coped brilliantly. He won at Spa. He wins in Monza. Charles Leclerc is the winner of the 2019 Italian Grand Prix. How did I do? (laughs) How did I do? Um, Yeah, I I feel like everyone's got that one just remembered off by heart. Um, And every time you hear it, you know, it's just... It's chill-inducing, if that is a word. <laughs> um, yeah, just fantastic commentary. Crofty is, has uh, has provided quite a few of those moments over the years, um, but that is definitely one of his best. But moving on, you know, in 2020, we get another crazy one where Pierre Gasly wins and is joined on the podium by Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll in a year that was completely dominated by Mercedes and even Verstappen. Neither one of them is even making it onto the podium. Crazy scenario. No Alba, no Verstappen, no Bottas, no Hamilton. We get those three on the podium. And even like fourth place was Kimi Raikkonen, I think. Like just a wild, wild scenario. Um, And of course, in 2021, we get uh, Max Verstappen's right rear tire landing on Lewis Hamilton's head. Um, They're coming together. I think that was the last time that they DNF'd together. Um, well, actually it was the only time they DNF together. I don't know why I'm making it sound like they did that a bunch of times. Um, of course, Lewis took out Max and Silverstone and Azerbaijan, they both kind of crashed out on their own. Although Lewis didn't technically DNF, they came together in Brazil, but that wasn't a DNF same with Jeddah. So this is the only time they DNF together. I don't know why I'm making it sound like they did that like five times. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about, 2021 so much. Maybe it's just because I'm living in the past as a Lewis Hamilton fan. Anyways, um, Daniel Ricciardo, of course, wins for McLaren. For the only 1-2 the entire season, I still think that stat is kind of overlooked how crazy that is, how dominant the Mercedes and the Red Bull were last year. Yet, the only 1-2 came from the team that finished 4th in the Constructors. Wild scenes. Honestly, wild scenes. And still, Daniel Ricciardo, who is now out at McLaren, has McLaren's only wins since 2012, which is also just another wild thing to think about. Although, if McLaren can just get a tad bit closer, you just know Lando Norris is going to be a race winner. I mean, I think it was um, the Beyond the Grid podcast where uh, Tom Clarkson was talking uh, to Lando Norris, and I don't know... It was either that or F1 Nation because I know it was Tom Clarkson talking about it. And he had mentioned that Lando came out with no wins and could have won three races on the bounce that year. Because, of course, in Spa, he was absolutely rapid on that wet track before he unfortunately crashed out because of the horrifying conditions Um, in that qualifying session, so if he qualifies there on pole like he looked like he was on track to possibly do, he wins that race because of what happened the next day, and then in Monza, he was arguably faster than Daniel Ricciardo, which I think is kind of crazy to think about as well, when you know Daniel by far had his best weekend, and he was superb, and it is a different challenge leading the race than as uh, what Lando was doing, kind of catching up, But at the end, I think Lando could have fought Daniel for the win. Um, And Daniel, of course, did make that exclamation point, kind of uh, setting the fastest lap at the end of the race. But anyway, Lando, I think, had a decent shot at winning that race for sure as well. Um, And then Russia, of course. Everyone knows about Russia. It was Lando's to lose. And basically, the only thing that could have stopped him, which is super fast track conditions changing right at the end, Obviously catches him out and robs him of his first win, but he almost like, could have won three in a row there, which is absolutely wild to think about. Lando's going to win a race. Anyway, talking a lot about previous uh, Italian Grand Prix, now let's talk a little bit more about this one. Um, it's not just the history and great um, and unique racing that makes this weekend a special one. The Italian Grand Prix provides us with by far the biggest home team advantage, if that is even a thing, in F1. The point is Ferrari gets a ridiculous amount of support here from the tifosi. You know, it's by far the most out of any track. You know, Austria, the orange army comes out for Max Verstappen, but I feel like that is a very, you know, they're cheering for Max more so than they're cheering for Red Bull. Um, It's the same thing with the Dutch Grand Prix. That's that's a Max thing. Belgian Grand Prix, Max. Uh, Lewis, of course, gets a lot of support in Silverstone, but there's always been other great British drivers. Um, I think a lot of the, a lot of the tracks like, uh, Sergio Perez in Mexico, like that is, they're cheering for Perez more than they're cheering for Red Bull here. The, my, the point I'm making is that it doesn't matter who is in the Ferrari, the Tifosi are supporting their team and it is by far like Alpine doesn't get the same support like Ferrari does, um, when it's the French Grand Prix, because let's be honest, Ferrari is kind of the most prestigious team in the sport. And they have an absolutely massive following, especially in Italy. So, yeah, I think that makes it unique as well. And you know, in the in the midst of even the most shocking season that we've seen from Ferrari in a little bit, um, from an execution standpoint, of course, they have built a great car. Um, they're still going to be feeling the love this weekend, without a doubt. I just I'm a little bit worried um, that the performance may not uh, impress to say the least. Um, but what's the storyline going into this race? I've been trying to come up with storylines, um, something I would mentioned on the podcast a lot recently, whether it's the review or the preview, what's the storyline going into the race? Um, and then after the race weekend, kind of what was the storyline of the race weekend? And I've been kind of struggling to actually come up with one, to be honest, for this one. I just think the storyline is How much is Max Verstappen going to win by? Which kind of gives away my prediction a little bit. But I think anyone who knows um, just a slight bit about Formula 1 knows that Max Verstappen is... If everything everything goes kind of straightforward for him, or smoothly I should say, Max Verstappen's got this wrapped up already. He has been dominating his teammate... And his car is not only the best on the grid probably at this point. I I know I kind of was beating the Ferrari drum for a while saying that I think they had the best car and they were choking. Um, I think with Ferrari's pace in the last three or so races, basically since the French Grand Prix, it really looks like Red Bull does have the faster car. Um, And of course, we saw in Spa how much they dominate when you strip the downforce off the cars. This is the minimal downforce track. So, on paper, all signs point to an absolutely dominant Max Verstappen win, and to think that he won't have an engine penalty here like he did in Spa, and he still dominated in Spa, yeah, uh, I think we're probably looking at a Grand Slam for Max Verstappen, which is also just crazy to say that a driver is expected to score a Grand Slam. Uh, So yeah, it'll certainly be interesting to see how quick he will be against the field this weekend. But for sure, I have to say he's he's going to be on pool and convert um, a third straight race win um, in the triple header. Of course, it's it's actually more than three in a row. Um, but I think more interestingly, who do I think is going to be in P2 and P3, and then what is my bold prediction? So I think even with Perez kind of struggling in res- like in respect to Max in terms of pace, um, I still think he's going to finish P2 here because I think the Ferrari and the Mercedes are going to be struggling a little bit. Um, and that is why I've gone for Fernando Alonso and P3. So that's not even going to be my bold prediction. In fact, that actually might be more bold than my bold prediction, but yes, I'm going with Alonso and P3. I think Alpine has an underrated power unit. Actually, they performed well in spa. And like I said, I just think Mercedes is going to struggle really hard here. And Ferrari will either struggle or just bottle it at their home race with all the pressure, because let's, that's, that's Ferrari for you. So yeah, I'm going to say for my bold prediction though, that Russell loses his P5 streak here. I think we could be looking at a Mercedes like P6, P7 kind of scenario. I just don't think they're going to do well here. I think the more downforce you take off that car, the more their issues of tire warmup are just going to compound. No pun intended. Uh, (laughs) um, Yeah. I I just don't think it's going to be a great weekend for Mercedes. And I I actually think that if they're able to run the car at the ride height that they need for straight line speed and whatever, their straight line speed is, is okay, but they always have to kind of compromise it because of these other issues that they have with the car. That's kind of what I've been reading anyway. Um, so yeah, I think Mons is going to be a bad weekend for Mercedes and I think eyes were, are going to be on Albon and Williams actually seeing as well as he performed in Spa. I think this should be the track for Williams, uh, and the blue dart as I like to call it because in a straight line, that thing is rapid. You ask it to turn and it is slow as all heck. So, uh, yeah, maybe Q3 in points again for Albon. That'll be interesting to see. Uh, So, yeah, now a whole ton of silly season chatter. So let's get into that because there is a ton, just an absolute ton to talk about. So, geez, where to even start? How about we review where the 2023 grid currently stands? Uh, Right now, Red Bull, Ferrari, and Mercedes are already set with their driver pairings all returning to the team's. Alpine has Esteban Ocon and a vacancy after their all-time driver fumble, having three drivers basically contracted to the team, and now they only end up with one. Shocking from them. Uh, McLaren has Lando Norris, and they secured Oscar Piastri from Alpine, so that will be a fa- fascinating matchup next year. Alfa Romeo has Valtteri Bottas and a vacancy. Haas re-signed K-Mag and has not re-signed Schumacher, so they have a vacancy still. Alphatari technically has Gasly in a vacancy, but with a potential buyout looming, uh, their lineup is completely in the air. Aston Martin will be Lance Stroll and Fernando Alonso, and Williams has re-upped with Alex Albon, but Latifi is expected to be on the outs uh, there as his contract expires after the end of this season. So I think today, actually, thinking about it, because there's just... There's so much to go over. I think it might just be a great day to go over what my predictions are for each seat. Um, but before that, I'll go over what has been in the news uh, regarding the driver market. And there is quite a bit here. So I think first off, we are going to talk about the Gasly and Alpine scenario. So I said um, a couple episodes ago that there's no chance Gasly goes to Alpine. Like, why are we talking about this as a possible scenario? And to me, I still think it is crazy that Alpine might try to pry Gasly away, especially knowing that it could kind of lead to disaster um, with these two guys not getting along. But Gasly is, of course, talented. He is French. So I understand it in a way. But they are, they are going to have to give up something, probably just money, to AlphaTari to make that deal work. Um, so... Again, keep an eye out to see if that does go through, but it appears now that Red Bull is saying that that deal is contingent on finding an interesting replacement for Gasly. If they can't bring in someone that gets them excited, they're not going to let Gasly go because they have the control in that contract with Gasly. So Mick Schumacher was actually rumored to be potentially in the running, and when Marcus Ericsson, if you have Twitter, And you probably saw his crazy driver market tweet predicting what the grid is going to look like. It looked absolutely insane. And I was like, what are you talking about, Erickson? Are you hammered right now? And this guy's looking like an absolute genius right now because he even called Schumacher to AlphaTauri. The fact that it even became a rumor like after the fact, like a legit rumor, um, is just wild to me. So I guess kudos to you, Erickson. But... Anyway, the more likely one that came completely out of left field to me anyway was Colton Herta, the IndyCar driver that I talked about with uh, Tim Harrani in the past and seemed to be more aligned with McLaren, and all of a sudden, he's aligned with AlphaTauri and Red Bull. So, even Christian Horner himself actually said that, you know, the team is very interested in what he can do in an F1 car. So, the problem with Herta and why this hasn't already happened is that he doesn't actually have the super license points to enter F1, which is basically just um, a system set up to make sure that complete amateurs aren't getting brought into the team just because they have a whole lot of money or something like that, right? You have to at least drive in feeder series and show that, you know, you can... It's an, it's an elite sport, you know, they call it the pinnacle of motorsport for a reason. They don't want um, just complete amateurs coming in and uh, kind of ruining it for everyone. So, yeah, they he doesn't have the points. And the issue, which is kind of a whole another issue, is that IndyCar is seen, for whatever reason, as worth less as a feeder series for F1 than F2. Which I see as very stupid, just to quick give my thoughts on that. Because had Herta's IndyCar's performances in the past, been rewarded the same as F2, he would have enough points to raise in F1. But I digress. Uh, If Herta can't get exempted by the FIA, um, and I'm not sure that he will, then it looks like Gasly won't be going to Alpine. Because I just don't know if they would give up Gasly just for Mick Schumacher. Um, And I think that if Schumacher had performances that impressed Tari, then, you know, Haas would just keep him. So, yeah, it's that's a tough scenario. Uh, Ocon has vouched for Mick to come to Alpine, actually, um, as they are good friends. But I don't know if Alpine would take kind of the unproven talent that Mick is. Like I said, if Mick starts to impress, then why wouldn't Haas just keep him? Right. So I don't see that scenario really happening either uh the Teo Porcher train that um I heard other people mention and I kind of hopped on because I thought that was a crazy kind of cool idea for Alpine to try to steal uh the French talent from Alfa Romeo that didn't really gain much traction haven't heard a single thing about that so I don't think that'll be the case and then with Daniel Ricciardo hinting towards a sabbatical or even a Mercedes reserve seat it doesn't really sound like he's in the running for the Alpine seat either so that one is completely up in the air um at alfa romeo i can't see it being anyone other than Porcher or joe to me they should just bring joe back he's been pretty solid this season um i don't see the point in bringing him in for one year and if he performs well still getting rid of him so i think they should just resign him if they don't um it'll be for a good reason though because they do have this exciting young talent waiting in the wings So, if they bring in anyone else besides Joe or Porcher, I think they're making a mistake, basically. And I trust Alfa Romeo to make the right uh, decision here. Uh, At Haas, the choices seem to be Schumacher, Giovinazzi, Hülkenberg, or Ricardo, with Nico and Daniel being kind of the outside chances. I think the two opportunities that Giovinazzi is going to get in FP1 outings and Schumacher's performances over the next few rounds will make all the difference on who gets that drive. Um, you'll see who I think will get the drive in just a second. And as for Williams, Jost Capito said that, you know, Latifi, they're going to give him a chance to see if he can perform um, over these next couple rounds. I think he said the European races, which means he only has one more left to perform. He just had an awful weekend in uh, the Netherlands. So uh, I just really can't see him coming back to F1 after the year he's had. I'm sorry, Canadian fans. I think we're probably going to be losing one of our Canadians this year. Um, but Stroll has actually really started to have some have some good outings. So on another note, I guess there is one thing to be happy for as a Canadian F1 fan. But anyways, I think Williams will have DeVries and Sargent to choose from or possibly a driver who gets let go. Like, of course, Sonoda is um, not contracted at Alpha Tari. Same as Schumacher at Haas and Joe at Alfa Romeo. Um, And I guess you can also throw Hulkenberg in the mix for Williams as well. Um, But this is another one that just has me baffled. And it's so hard to know what the team will do. Um, But, yeah, it's time to predict. I'm going to go through each team in the grid and say who I think is going to be driving for their cars this season. And it's going to be in the order of the current Constructors' Championships. So starting with Red Bull, it's going to be Verstappen and Perez. Of course, they did sign Perez. And there were some comments made in the media by probably Helmut Marko. I, I, it was made a while ago. Um, But let's be honest, they're very Marco-esque comments, so I'm pretty sure it was him. And they haven't really been exactly happy with what Perez has done since Monaco, but they signed him. I think if Red Bull continues to build great cars, then they do kind of have a uh, Hamilton and Bottas situation at Red Bull, which, I mean, I think it's been proven to work very well. They were still winning Constructors' Championships because Perez is no slouch, but there's also no inner... Team competition as well. So I think they got a good lineup there uh, for sure. Ferrari is going to be Leclerc and Signs. That one's an absolute slam dunk. Nothing is changing there for sure. Same with Mercedes. The only thing was a Hamilton shock retirement, which I highly, highly, highly doubt will happen. So they'll have Hamilton and Russell in their seats next year. Now we move on to an interesting one. Who do I think will be at Alpine? Um, I think. This was the expected one uh, maybe a couple weeks ago, and it's really moved away from looking like it's going to be a possibility. But you know what, guys? I'm going to say it still happens. I think it's going to be O'Connor and Ricardo. I believe that because of what Red Bull has said about the Herta Gasly situation. I don't think Herta will get exempted, meaning I don't think Herta is going to be on the grid next year, giving that away already. And I just think. Alpine's, there's there's no way they're going to go for Schumacher. I don't think they're going to go for like a Joe or um, a Sonoda or something like that or a DeVries. I don't think they're going to do that either. I think basically Ricardo's going to be like, well, either I'm taking a sabbatical or reserving for Mercedes, or I just take this one year contract with Alpine. And Alpine's like, well, either we just grab someone that's completely unproven and might not help us in the short term at all or we just sign ricardo to a one-year deal and see how it goes so i think that's actually what's going to happen so i got ocon and ricardo at alpine mclaren is already um a done deal i think this one is an absolute slam dunk as well norris and piastri alfa romeo like i said i think they're going to bring back joe i don't know what the holdup is so i'm got i got bottas and joe at alfa romeo Haas. This one might surprise some people. I'm going with Giovinazzi gets the seat over Mick Schumacher. I just think giving him these FB1 outings, when it's not like it's Ferrari that's like making them do it, and he also doesn't count for the young driver's tests, as I believe I mentioned on an earlier episode as well, you don't just do that if you're not seriously interested in his services. And I think that Haas is very, very interested in Giovinazzi, and if Mick Schumacher doesn't you know, pick up the uh, the pace a little bit. He did just have a pretty good weekend in the Netherlands. Of course, he didn't score a point, but he was on top of Magnussen, so I think that is a very, very good sign for Mick Schumacher, but I just have a weird feeling here that Haas is going to go with Giovinazzi, and we're going to see the Italian back on the grid next year, which will be crazy, and I know this one is definitely a bold one. I think Mick is favored to return, but I just have a weird feeling that it will be Giovinazzi. But that doesn't mean that Schumacher will be off the grid next year. I got him and Gasly at AlphaTauri. I actually think that Red Bull would bring in Schumacher instead of Sonoda. Sonoda did just have a solid weekend as well at the Dutch Grand Prix. But I just really feel like, and I love Yuki, but... When they're going to put this immense pressure on him over the next few rounds, I could definitely, and I just, I hate saying this because I I don't want to like predict the demise of anyone, but I could definitely see him crumbling under the pressure. Um, and if Schumacher does have good performances and Haas still goes with Gio, then I think AlphaTauri, if they've already started to show interest in him, I'm not saying I'm super high on Schumacher. But if AlphaTauri is looking into him, which I don't think Schumacher's really done much to warrant that interest, I think that they are seriously considering him as well. So, yeah, I think Gasly Schumacher would be very, very interesting in AlphaTauri. And that's what I'm going to predict. Uh, Aston Martin, of course, another locked-in lineup. That is going to be Fernando Alonso and Lance Stroll. I can't wait to see that one next year and see what Aston can do building a car. And Williams, the final driver lineup. This one... I honestly have absolutely no reasoning really behind why I think this will be the case. Of course, Albon is back, and I'm going to say that they promote Logan Sargent. I think that Sargent might uh, perform really well at the USA uh, FB1 outing. And honestly, I just don't think Williams is going to have a whole lot of options. They're either bring in someone very unproven or very old, like a, like a Hulkenberg, for example, and um, Or I think the other option that they would have here based on my prediction is to look into Yuki Sonoda. And I'm just thinking, even though this team says they don't really need the money that much anymore, do you want to bring in a guy like Yuki who over, let's be honest, over these past two years has kind of, he would be costing Williams a little bit of money. He has uh, had quite a few shunts. And even though he might be quicker than Sargent right now, and I'm 100% believe that Sonoda would be quicker than Sargent in F1 right now. I just think that they're probably not going to take in DeVries. I don't think DeVries is impressed enough to get get the seat. And I just think, you know what? They're going to be like, why not just promote our young talent now, develop him, and hopefully we can have a better car by the time that he hits his prime. I don't know. I, I don't really have a great reason for this one, like I said um but I just think they're gonna go for the young talent and sergeant and I think that will be awesome so sergeant will be the first American on the grid for I don't know how many years it's been I think it's since Alex Rossi um it will not be Colton Herta that is going to be my prediction so yeah two episodes down this week guys this one was was very fun to make I don't know why I said at the end of last week's pod that i would be back next week that was a mistake I think I made another one too I think I said Russell was 11 points back and he's 13 points back but that's just me being very critical of myself um but yeah I guess it was a force of habit saying that I'll be back next week because I pretty much am always saying that at the end of every episode um but another thing that I forgot to mention last episode was the whole fiasco with the flares and I mentioned the shenanigans at the Dutch Grand Prix and I forgot to go into the into the flares thing um and I really just think that to be honest I don't think anyone was too surprised with, you know, we saw how Austria went with the flares. Of course, Zandvor was going to be even crazier. Um, but I just want to quickly say you are an idiot if you throw flares on the track. Um, and this might sound bad, but just hear me out. I really wish a flare directly ruined um, a Max Verstappen quality run, or even better, just completely denied him pole position. Because I feel like that's what would have needed to happen for you know the Dutch crowd to just cut it out with the flares. Like we get it, you're all wearing orange. You don't need to make the air orange too. There's enough orange already. <laughs> um, but yeah, could you just imagine the pandemonium if that happened? You know, a Dutch fan costed Max Verstappen pole. That would have been insane. And by the way, the reason I said that sounds bad because I'm not hating on Max. I'm not hating on the Dutch crowd. Um, I think the Dutch fans are absolutely great for the sport, and that's why we're racing at Zandvoort, and they are an absolutely passionate bunch, and it's not surprising that, you know, a few bad apples in a passionate bunch cross the line, I'm not surprised there at all, to be honest, so, yeah, all love, no hate there, I think the Dutch fans are great, so... Yeah, that'll do it for the Daniel Kvyat episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 27 next week for real this time. So, uh, yeah, I'll be back to review the Italian Grand Prix. Can Max lap the whole field? Probably not. <laughs> Goodbye.